This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, January the 10th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore looks ahead to some of the biggest accessibility stories and disability issues in 2023. Dorothy McNaughton will share her experience with blind advocacy and peer support in Sault Ste. Marie. And it's Tuesday. You know that means it's time for the weekly news quiz. Karen McGee will be here. Alex Smythe will be here. And a very special guest, Janison, Janice Davidson Presick, will stop by to be put to the test by me. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours. But the show begins with the top story of the day. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in Mexico for the North American Leaders Summit. Trudeau reflected on almost losing the trilateral free trade agreement in 2018. A few years ago, we're talking amongst friends now, uh, we recognized that the extraordinary success of this integrated free trade zone, larger free trade zone than any other in the world, including the European Union, uh, was under real threat. We almost lost NAFTA. The Prime Minister says building a new trade deal was more than just a political effort. We couldn't have done it without the business leaders and the labor leaders in this room who understood deeply that it was a matter of individual and shared prosperity. Trudeau is scheduled to sit down later this morning with U.S. President Joe Biden before the formal portion of the summit begins. President Biden may be distracted during the summit because... The U.S. Attorney General has ordered an investigation into why some classified documents were found in an office Biden used after he left office as vice president. Reporter Andy Field has more from Washington. Former President Trump has said everyone takes some classified documents when they leave the White House, and he's now pointing to some of those papers found last fall in a private Washington office that then-private citizen Joe Biden kept after he left as vice president. Not clear what the documents are. Mr. Biden's spokesperson says unlike former President Trump, his team immediately called the National Archives and handed them over when they were discovered. Republicans have promised a widespread congressional investigation. Coming back to Canada, Canada is officially buying the F-35 fighter jet to replace its aging fleet of CF-18s. The price tag? $19 billion. Defense Minister Anita Anand detailed the agreement. Canada is acquiring a new fleet of 88 state-of-the-art F-35 fighter jets through an agreement that we have finalized with the United States government and Lockheed Martin with Pratt and Whitney. Anand discussed the urgency to make this purchase. With Russia's illegal and unjustifiable invasion of Ukraine and China's increasingly assertive behavior in the Indo-Pacific. This project has taken on heightened significance, especially given the importance of interoperability with our allies. The defense minister elaborated further on how geopolitics impacted this decision. We need to ensure that, especially in this changing global strategic environment, we are fulfilling our obligations to NORAD and to NATO. And never has it been more clear that this is the moment that we need to ensure the defense of our country, the protection of our country, including our Arctic. Canada initially agreed to buy a fleet of F-35s in 2010. Over to another political story, something you have been hearing lots about over the course of the last couple of weeks. A parliamentary committee wants to study the travel issues that cropped up at airports and train stations over the holidays. Emily Javesky has the story. Members of the Federal Transport Committee want to hear from passengers who found their holiday travel plans sidelined by delays and cancellations. 
Representatives from Air Canada and WestJet are also among the witnesses MPs want to hear from, along with leaders from Via Rail and vacation airline Sunwing. Hundreds of travelers found themselves stranded in Mexico after Sunwing canceled flights because of poor weather conditions, while passengers were stuck on a train between Ottawa and Toronto for upward of 20 hours. Transport Minister Omar Algabra also plans to attend a future meeting. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. Of course, an element of that story is what triggered yesterday's daily poll, which you can find at Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. We asked you, what do you do to make your life easier when you travel? Book direct flights, carry on bags, arrive early, or I don't travel. I don't have the percentages written here in my script. I, uh, Maybe while I'm reading some of these comments, someone can get in my ear and tell me what these numbers are. Or maybe if Alex can pull that up in front of him himself, it might be uh, useful for us. But we did get a Facebook comment from Ginny. Neon duct tape on my checked bag. This makes it easy for anyone helping me to identify. That is a really, really good idea. That's something that I do on my personal suitcase. I like to put a little marker on it so when it's coming down the... Uh, I guess you would call it the carousel. When it's coming down the carousel, I've got my little neon pink thing on the edge of my suitcase to make it stand out because every suitcase looks the same these days. You know what, guys? Let's not worry about the numbers. We'll share those in the uh, next segment. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Today's daily poll... There'll be a bit of a CES, Consumer Electronics Show, roundup in the next segment of the show where lots of smart technology with a bit of an accessibility bent got shown off in Las Vegas last week. And this is a question that we've circled around before. Have you introduced smart technology into your home? If yes, what kind and which brand? Let us know in the comments. So it's a yes-no question for the voting, but I want to hear a little bit of value added about what you're doing to make your home smarter. Alex Smythe, one of my projects for this year is to better utilize a Amazon Amazon technology, some Echo technology that's been gifted to me over the course of the last couple of years. I want to get my living room lit better and relit in a more, let's call it adult way, as opposed to one little Ikea lamp in the corner. So for me, I haven't necessarily introduced the smart technology to my home just yet, but I do have it. It's in boxes. It's ready to be deployed. But what about you? Do you have it? And if yes, how have you deployed it? So I currently don't use any real smart like home gadgets or anything like that. I did in the past have like, uh, and I'm sure it's still tucked away in a box somewhere, like the little Google um, Home or the Google Mini, like a, just a small basic one. And, you know, we'd bring it out from time to time. You get it as gifts around the holidays. Um, then you can, you can ask it to play mu uh, music and, and tell you the weather and stuff like that. I found it was very gimmicky and I didn't really find the value in having it. Whereas everything I I want or need or I could access is on the most uh, widely used smart device out there, which is my smartphone. Um, but I see there is certain devices out there that do have value that I, I could potentially get behind. Things like, you know, the the smart uh, like blinds and, and uh, kind of the things that are sensing the lights and the changes and of when the sun is rising, when it's setting and kind of adjusting your house because of that. I'm not ready to give like the controls over my thermostat over or, or kind of have the, the doors unlocked or, or uh, locked remotely. But I think maybe, you know, you could have like a, uh, uh, a doorbell camera or, or, or smaller things like that. Okay, the blinds can go up and down. I'd be more comfortable with that. I still like having that control, Dave. Yeah, it's one of these things where you can really see the test case for what would be nice to operate a lot of things off of your phone. But then there's also the instabilities of your Wi-Fi networks that might kick into these things as opposed to just your electrical uh, connections that go along with it. I, I, I think you're right, Alex. There's, there's sort of this line that maybe you want your tech to be tech, your smart tech to be tech. It's nice to have a smart TV and it's nice to have your computer linked up to your TV. And it's like some of this casting technology to go from one 
one piece to another or from a speaker to another Bluetooth and whatnot. So some of that stuff is really, really nice. But as you say, maybe some of those true, true, true home essentials are something that you do want to keep a little bit separate and different and maybe even something you don't want to incorporate all of your lights into the smart technology yeah. in case something goes haywire and you can actually get again have a little bit of control here well the other thing i i'm just thinking of too is the fact it's what are the like wi-fi limitations of it i mean there's points where even i struggle now with getting enough connections on the router because you have so many devices connected if you start making you know your thermostat connected via wi-fi your door uh, connected via wi-fi uh, uh, whether there's a smart receiver or speakers or or like you know lights things like that all these connections need to be routed through the router or potentially a switch. So this is other technology. You then open this whole can of worms. Of how many connections can you reliably have? Are they always going to be connected? Are they going to drop? Or is it going to be yeah. inconsistent connections? So I think for the true tech heads out there, you know, they're, they're going to have the solution to those problems. The daily <laughs> user, the, the basic consumers like you and I, Dave, I don't think we're kind of prepared for for dealing with all that hassle and all that mess. Alex, I didn't even consider the smart lock side of these things. Uh, how many times have you been staying at a hotel and your hotel key stops working, right? Is it, yep. wouldn't the, and there's no front desk when it's your front door that locks up on you and officially crashes. There's no front desk you can report to to say, <laughs> let me into my house, I've got to get into my house. Well, and, and the thing is too, like, so for our um, front door, like our lock, we have like a, a keypad and, and it's still battery powered, but there's been a couple of times where it's just like, uh-oh, it's the middle of winter. The battery seems to be drained. It's not quite registering over what's going to happen. Do we have a spare key somewhere? Nor Thankfully, we always do, but it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, you, technology is great and, and electronics are great, but they do fail from time to time. What, what about the smart camera thing? Would you ever do that with the, the smart security camera, say the, the Ring doorbell or whatever other technology uh, that's not paying to advertise on the show that I just gave a shout out to? Uh, I've, I've contemplated because obviously, well, not obviously, y'all don't know exactly where I live but my particular unit although it's on the second floor does back out onto some green space that's accessible mm -hmm. by foot so I have considered okay do I want to put a little smart camera out on my back patio just in case yeah. especially for example if I'm going away for over the holidays right I was gone for seven or eight days it would be nice to know that hey nobody busted into my apartment through the back door uh, while I was gone Absolutely. And it's funny because I've always thought of it. If I ever won the lottery, Dave, that would be my first step. It's like basically all my friends and family, they're getting these, these the top of the line, like smart locks and, and uh, like kind of doorbell cameras and things like that, just for added security, because you never know. You want to protect your, your property. I think they can be very good. I would do a lot of research into finding what one is the best. Like I don't need them to, to be, you know, all connected that they they can unlock or lock remotely i don't want that because you've seen other instances where that can go very wrong but just something where there's a camera i can see it i can access it remotely i can communicate but it doesn't impact the actual locking mechanism i would be comfortable with something like that yeah a little bit of a hybrid a little bit of a hybrid yeah. there give me a physical key and some smart lock at the same time or a little code you know let's let's go for a hybrid approach alex thank you for this we do have the results from monday's poll i want to thank uh, bruce and anastasia and andrika for pulling a little work behind the scenes there to get me the numbers so on monday we asked you at accessible media on twitter at accessible media inc on facebook what do you do to make your life easier when you travel 12 percent of you said book direct flights 33 percent of you said only carry-on bags 22 percent of you said arrive early and 33% of you were a little bit cheeky but very honest and said I do not travel. That's the daily poll. Again, Accessible Media on Twitter is where you vote. Accessible Media Inc. is where you vote on Facebook. You can also send emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545. Have you introduced smart technology in your home? If so, tell us what kind and which brand in the comments. Let's go back to Alex Smythe. He has the national weather updates. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where it's cloud. 
It's cloudy with heavy and blowing snow starting this morning with up to 25 centimeters expected to fall. There's also wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour in certain areas. And as you can expect, there is a winter storm warning in effect. The temperatures, it's a high of minus three, feeling like minus 13. To Halifax, Nova Scotia, a bit of a different story. It's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of rain, freezing rain, or possibly snow in the morning. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus one, and the wind chill is minus nine. To Montreal, Quebec, it is mainly sunny. It's a high of minus five and feeling like minus 14. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow early this morning. High is minus seven and the wind chill is minus 15. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow early in the morning. The high is zero, but feeling like minus five. Over to Thunder Bay, Ontario, there's snow or possible freezing rain expected, and there's up to two centimeters of snow that they think may fall. The highest minus one, but with that wind chill, it makes it feel like minus eight, and there is a freezing rain advisory in effect for the area. Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's a mix of sun and clouds with increasing cloud cover as the morning goes on. The highest minus six, but feeling like minus 17. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow in the morning. And the fog advisory is in effect due to low visibility in the area. The high is minus nine and that wind chill makes it feel like minus 18. The Calgary, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds. Two is the high, feeling like minus seven. Up to Edmonton, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy. Minus six is the high. The wind chill is minus 13, but there is an air quality statement in effect for the area due to the weather conditions making it harder to breathe for some people. In Yellowknife Northwest Territories, there is light snow falling today, minus 10 being the high, and the wind chill makes it feel like minus 18. Over to Vancouver, BC, the showers in the morning, and then that will be clearing up in the afternoon, and 10 degrees is the high for Vancouver. Finally, in Victoria, BC, there's clouds in the morning and it will be clearing its way out to make room for sunshine. The wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and nine is the high. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Oh, always living good on Vancouver Island. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, there were lots of tech innovations released at this year's CES in Las Vegas. I've got a roundup of a couple of the notable ones with just a tint of accessibility. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. You've heard lots about CES over the course of the last couple of days. The technology world and the media at large descended on Las Vegas, Nevada for one of the big tech conferences of the year. And CES did feature all kinds of technology breakthroughs and some of which had an accessibility slant to them. So I've got a recap of a couple of the notable technologies that were featured. German Bionics introduced an exoskeleton backpack that won the show's Best of Innovation Award. The device uses artificial intelligence to help users with mobility. Chief Product Officer Norma Stellar offers some insights on how the backpack adapts. It learns how I move and it can support me in the way that I need to be supported as an individual. Stellar says there are lots of applications for the technology. The main applications at the moment are in logistics and warehousing, but also we're expanding into healthcare, especially for elderly care, and as well into construction work. As you move over to something a little bit different, we just talked about smart technology in the daily poll. Well, maybe you have a bathroom renovation planned. Andrew Van Gordon with American plumbing manufacturer Kohler was showing off the company's new smart toilet. You'll never leave the lid up again. It's a completely touchless experience that closes and flushes automatically as you leave the bathroom. Technology company One Third introduced a scanner that can reduce food waste by allowing consumers to test how ripe a piece of protest is before they buy it. One Third founder and CEO Mario Schnickers explains. 
Our scanner helps our consumers in the store get the right decision. So they pick the right avocado, which is good for guacamole today, or maybe good for guacamole in a couple of days. So you're not dis disappointed when you get uh, at home and open that avocado. Now you want to talk about a piece of technology can, you can use and you can understand the practical application for. That one is it. How many times have you walked into your favorite grocer, picked out your kale or your spring mix or your apples or your blueberries and next thing you know, you get home and right away you know as soon as you open that case, Oh, these went bad. They're no good. They're molding. This is the kind of technology that just makes so much sense. Over to the world of beauty. French cosmetics giant L'Oreal is showing off its magic broad brow device. You have micro inkjet printers that can print the cosmetic grade ink and you have sensors inside the device that know how fast you're swiping to ensure that you get the perfect brow at the perfect speed. That was my mistake, I read that poorly. That was L'Oreal rep Guive Balouche who offered up that insight. Now, eyebrows weren't the only area where tech and beauty intersected. Chuck Sievertson explains. Three words, robotic lipstick applicator. Guive Balouche of L'Oreal, the maker with collaboration of a health tech company, Liftwear. Pop open the lipstick, you attach it to the connector you bring the base of the device and you attach it in one step. The market size? One in 10 people in the United States. Or 43 million people, he says. For people who have trouble using arms because of strokes, arthritis, or spinal cord injuries. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. So Chuck Sievertson lays it out pretty explicitly there in that case with the robotic lipstick. It's about someone who might have some sort of mobility issue having their lipstick applied more, well, let's say perfectly, <laughs> using technology. But you may have noticed the common thread across these stories, even talking about something like the smart toilet. The lid is going up and down touchlessly. Automatic sensors, flushing is going off through automatic sensors. This exoskeleton technology, although being used mainly in manufacturing right now, does have a health application, a possible benefit for people with mobility challenges who need perhaps certain supports for an injury that they may have. We see these beauty products that I laid out for you here. It's about the application, even if you have a mobility limitation. So none of these things are explicitly about accessibility or solving a disability barrier, but this is all part of the broader picture. How often do you find ourselves talking to Stephen Scott or Sean Priest or Nelson Rago about the importance of mainstream technology presenting a solution or presenting a test case for dealing with a disability barrier or an accessibility barrier? These are the things that are interesting, and these is, this is why these shows like CES still draw that attention from an accessibility community because of the way in which you can think about an application moving forward. Speaking of disability, coming up after the break, Megan Gilmore looks ahead to some of the biggest disability issues and discussions heading into 2023. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. Canada's main stock index stalled in the afternoon, but still ended the day with gains. Toronto's TSX index added 42 points to close at 19,857. New York's Dow Jones average dropped 112 points and the Nasdaq gained 66. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index rose 201 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning, a little lower at 74.68 cents US. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and US President Joe Biden will meet face-to-face -face this morning at the North American American Leaders Summit in Mexico City. It's the first formal bilateral for Biden and Trudeau since the Summit of the Americas in June. Biden's agenda, once Mexico's president joins the table today, will be dominated by the migratory crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. That's why this morning's meeting will be Trudeau's best chance this week to press Biden on issues of specific concern to Canada. Those include lingering trade disputes over dairy markets to the embattled Trusted Traveler program known as Nexus. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Throughout the years, accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore has been walking you through many conversations on disability issues, accessibility initiatives, and so much more going on across the country. Well, so many of those stories have roots that go back years and will continue to develop and grow throughout this year. So Megan is here to look ahead on what's to come in 2023. Hey, good morning, Megan. How are you? Good morning, Dave. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Megan, I wonder when we actually put like the kibosh on saying Happy New Year to people. Is it the first time we see anybody right. during the course of any given time in 2023? <laughs> or do we say at January 15th, we cut it off? Ooh, I'm, I lean more towards January 15th because let's say I meet you in November. I'm not saying Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, it might sound a little bit wacky at that point. Megan, one of the biggest stories of the past year was the National Disability Benefit. As we sit here today, where are we right now with that story? Okay, so in many ways, we are in the exact same place that we were the last time we talked about this. There is, as of yet, no national disability benefit. Just as a reminder, this is a piece of legislation that's before the House of Commons to uh, allow the government to include in the Income Tax Act a uh, a national disability benefit to help working-aged Canadians come out of poverty. And as discussed numerous times on the show, all the details of that will be left to regulations. Regulations happen after a uh, law is passed. So we have a long way to go. Um, but the bill has passed the committee stage at the House of Commons, and now it needs to come to and pass third reading. I know heading into those committee meetings, there were some changes that were being suggested or certainly some questions that were being asked. Did that committee come back with any changes? Sure. So, yes, the committee uh, did uh, recommend changes to the act, not all the changes that everybody would have wanted, but they did uh, recommend some, and we'll see what the House of Commons does with that. So a couple, some of them would be um, the they put they added in a definition of disability previously to this there was no definition of disability and this act to create a national disability benefit so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they uh added one in and said that this benefit will use the same definition of disability as seen in the accessible canada act so we're starting to see some harmonization of disability definitions dave that's good um, i mean then, like that that's a good thing right like we want right, we right. want to be on the and same then, page um the act goes on to, you know, when they talk about how the minister, federal minister, will need to make agreements of provinces and territories, these um, suggested amendments uh, put in that the minister has to make those agreements with other government agencies, provinces, territories, that are public, so that this all be public knowledge. Um, and then some of the amendments relate to the regulations, which again is where we're going to get the details of what this benefit could possibly mm -hmm. look like. Mm -hmm. So. In terms of amount of the benefit, again, there is no amount specified in the act, but there was an amendment that says that the, re the regulations must require that the benefit be indexed to inflation um, and that the application process be a barrier-free process, again, as identified in the Accessible Canada Act. And then finally, um, another, um, and we're just going through some of the amendments right now, but a big one has to do around the consultation process. Uh, Minister Kalila Cultural, Minister of Disability Inclusion, has said over and over and over that it's very important to the government that people with disabilities be involved in every step of making this benefit. People were concerned that the way the bill is currently worded, that, that it doesn't guarantee that. So there was an amendment uh, added in that says that the minister must make it possible for people with disabilities to collaborate in the development and design of the regulations, and then that there must be progress reports published about how that engagement process is going. Megan, you're a real journalist, and I know real journalists hate being asked speculation questions, but I'm yeah. going to force you down this pathway. If you had to give a yes or no, and I'll, you can obviously elaborate a little more beyond yes or no, do you yeah. expect this benefit, at least at its structural level, to make it through the halls of federal parliament by the end of the year? Maybe not checks in bank accounts sent by the end of the mm -hmm. year, but do you expect it to make it through the federal bureaucracy before the end of the year? Right, that's a good question. And yes, all journalists hate being asked to speculate. <laughs> and of course, in a minority government, you never know when you could have an election. 
Um, I think we're almost at third reading. Like somebody just needs to bring it forward to third reading. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it is fairly possible that we could get this through the House of Commons. Um, it's pretty much almost there. It, the Senate will have to do its own process, which is mm -hmm. again another mm -hmm. clause by clause review, which is again another um, having witnesses come. But I think it is possible if everybody works together and doesn't get bogged down in the details. And then as we're going to talk about in our next topic that's going to be happening this year, there are larger social conversations happening right now that I think may be used to feel this benefit through mm -hmm. the parliamentary mm -hmm. process. Okay, I, so I, you've led us there beautifully, but I'll engage in the speculation too for the sake of being fair. I fully believe this will get through the halls of federal parliament by the end of the year, but I don't imagine there's going to be any checks being sent out yes. to people till late 2024, early 2025, because we yeah. have to deal with the provinces here and the provinces will have their own process they want to walk through. Exactly. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you though. So Megan, you referred to it, medical assistance in dying. We yeah. are now at the point where we've got a committee studying medical assistance in dying in Canada. What developments do you expect going into this year? Right. So uh, just to bring people up to speed, the Joint Parliamentary and Senate Committee was struck last year to study various aspects of medical assistance in dying. That was a legislative requirement of the original law that was passed in 2016. So uh, the government's just doing what it was supposed to have done already. Um, their final report is supposed to be released on February 17th. Uh, that will cover things like how people with disabilities have been impacted by medical assistance in dying, the state of palliative care in Canada, uh, the question of whether or not mature minors um, should be able to receive MAID, um, and also the question of, of individuals whose only medical condition is a mental illness should be um, allowed to die by maid. Um, that's an important part, the mental illness part. Originally in 2021, when the government expanded maid to what it is now, the government said that in March 2023, so it's two months from now, Canada would allow medical assistance in dying for the sole purpose of mental illness. Uh, late last year, Justice Minister David Lamenti came out and said that they were going to be putting a pause on that and would, they would be introducing legislation this year uh, to um, ask for an extension of that self-imposed government deadline. The House has not returned, so we don't know what's happening with that. All we know is that David Lamenti has said they're going to pause before expanding made for people with mental illness. We don't know when, we don't know what this means. Just stay tuned for when and if legislation is introduced. And then finally, this summer, like every summer, uh, Health Canada will release its annual report on made in Canada that will look at numbers from 2022. And this I think is going to be a fairly significant report in the sense that 2022, so this last year, was the first year for the full 12 months that individuals with disabilities or sicknesses who aren't dying could legally receive mm -hmm. MAID. Mm -hmm. So all the stories that you were sharing in 2022 about individuals with different disabilities dying by MAID, this is the report where that data will be captured, yeah. and I think we'll get to see, hopefully, a bigger picture what's going on. It, it's certainly a better sample size. I think we might still need a few more years of data for, for a true sample size because there could be um, people who'd been seeking it or wanting it for years who were finally able to get access to it. So there might be a slight disproportionate uptick in 2022 because it was the first full year. But I think you're right. That is definitely a more accurate sample than the 2021 data that we were pulling from. Megan, let's stay in the world of federal here, but we're moving to accessibility standards. So we'll get into some provinces here in a moment, but we know as the Accessible Canada Act moves forward, accessibility standards are a part of that conversation. What are you anticipating in regards to national accessibility standards? So the public review for the model standard for built environmental accessibility just closed this past weekend. So you can expect to see more work on that standard um, as Accessibility Standards Canada continues its work. 
And then this will be the first full year that we've had both the chief accessibility commissioner and the chief accessibility officer in their roles. So um, you can expect to start seeing their annual reports coming out. Uh, and yeah, like I, this in many ways will probably be, it, it is the first year where we have all the positions that that act uh, mandates filled. So we get to see more about how it actually all works together in practice. So we've been talking about the big federal umbrella here. What about provincially? Is there anything top of mind for you or something that's already on your radar on the provincial front? Yeah, so there's a few different things. Um, I'm going to start, I'm going to take this from, from the west and uh, move uh, to the east. That's forward. right. So no no east coast bi- no uh, east coast bias on now with Dave Brown. We start in the <laughs> right, west. Yeah. We're starting with the West, guys. Um, you're still sleeping, but we're starting with you. Um, <laughs> so in Saskatchewan, they have introduced provincial accessibility legislation that was introduced in their provincial legislature late last year. We'll, um, we can watch the development of that as it goes through the process. So financial program is running mm. out. It's is rolling out. It's uh, being put into effect. We were talking about the regulations around that a few months ago on this program. If you want to dig down for the archives, and then in Ontario, um, where, where I am and where you are, oh, so many things. So the next review of the AODA, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, is due in June. That is the final review before the legislation's deadline and making Ontario fully accessible by 2025. Oh, and we're totally going to get there, too. We're totally going to I mean, this is just going to be a review of so much improvement. Yeah, flowers and roses. Flowers so and roses I, uh, through and through. Yeah, so the, the last review, which was done by former Lieutenant Governor David Onley, had some very memorable lines and descriptions that he used to describe the experience of disabled Canadians. I'm really um, curious to see if Mr. Donovan, Rick Donovan, who's doing uh, the current one, if he's going to match that. I'm really excited to see how things be described. And then on top of the AODA review, there are changes to the Ontario Disability Support Program that will is supposed to come into force, I believe, by March, if what I've heard on the social medias is correct. So ODSP has increased the amount of income that individuals can earn before they receive clawback. Uh, but they've also uh, increased the amount of clawback that you're actually clawed back once mm. the clawback starts. Mm. Um, and then Nova Scotia, talked about that province quite a bit in the past year. Um, they are working on a plan to get individuals who are wrongfully in hospitals or long-term care homes to get them out into the community. Um, and we'll see what that plan is, how that develops. And then also they just completed their review of their accessibility legislation late last year. So you can check in with that and see how uh, what, what they found about accessibility legislation in Nova Scotia. It's another year, Megan, which means accessible housing is going to be on the mm-hmm. front burner again. Do you imagine we're going to get any significant progress on that front? In fact, Megan, it almost feels like housing, due to some of the healthcare issues and other economic issues that are going on right now, has actually slid off that front burner. But I think for people in our demographic, the cost of housing is still so, so relevant. And getting appropriate accessible housing for people is still a major, major issue. I mean, you, you just made reference to Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. Um, last year, uh, just to pull back the curtain a bit, listeners, like you may have noticed, Dave and I, like we, we were talking about accessible housing a lot last year. That was not intended at the beginning of 2022. It just no, kept no, but it just up. kept coming up. Yeah. Um, so I think what I found really interesting last year watching is you started to see a lot more public announcements of new housing projects, new. Um, like ways of imagining helping people receive home care so that they can stay in their homes, which is is another part of accessible housing. So I think I will, I hope that we'll continue to see that this year, but also some of these pilot projects will have hopefully started to work out some of their kinks Mm -hmm. and we'll see if and how this ball keeps moving. Um, but it is it is a thread in all these conversations. It's, it's a reason why individuals have died by maid in Canada's because they don't have appropriate places to live. Mm-hmm. It's something mm-hmm. that keeps people in poverty. Um, so it's it's going to be there. Um, we don't have I don't think as many elections coming up, so it can be harder to 
um, keep the conversation going when there's not like a push <laughs> we, to get an elected official we, to say we something. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about important issues during election campaigns. Come on, Megan. We just talk about building okay, highways. Well, yeah, people try to get people to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, they, we know. do our best. We do our best. Hey, Megan, thank you for this. Lovely chatting with you to start off the year. Uh, looking forward to catching up with you again in a couple weeks. All right, have a good show. That's Megan Gilmore, accessibility reporter. You can find Megan on Twitter, at Megan Gilmore. Megan's very lucky to be able to have her full name on Twitter. That's Megan, M-E-A-G-A-N-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E, at Megan Gilmore on Twitter. Coming up next, Dorothy McNaughton will share her experience with blind advocacy and peer support in Sault Ste. Marie. But first, artificial intelligence is coming to Microsoft Office. Mike Dubesky tells you more in Tech Trends. A new report in The Information finds that Microsoft has been working on a way to integrate AI language technology into its line of Office products. Wired columnist Clive Thompson says it comes from Microsoft's partnership with OpenAI, the company behind the popular ChatGPT chatbot. The chatbot will write paragraphs at a time, you know, like it, it'll answer a question at several paragraphs at length, and it reads very, very convincingly like a human. Experts say the tech could be used to draft emails or make changes to Word documents. Thompson says that could be a risk for Microsoft because the bot is trained on how humans communicate on the internet. People can be dreadful online. They can be incredibly racist. They can be, you know, flagrantly misogynist. And so the bot has learned that stuff. And so, you know, it can actually say some, you know, pretty wildly sexist and occasionally racist stuff. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Disability advocacy does not stop and goes well beyond a policy level. It trickles into every aspect of your daily life, including the services you access and the people you interact with in your community. Here to share their experience with this is community reporter Dorothy McNaughton in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Hey, good morning, Dorothy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good morning, Dave. Dorothy, you wanted to explore the importance of peer support through advocacy. What got you thinking about this? Well, I, I think uh, what's really been on my mind lately is how important it is. And that's not just from a personal perspective, because it certainly has influenced my life for many years, mm. um, peer support. But it's because in Sault Ste. Marie, we have, uh, you know, like many communities, we have people with vision loss who are feeling really isolated, uh, don't have maybe family or friends to support them, don't have anyone who understands what they're going through, and they really don't know where to turn. So our Canadian Council of the Blind group here, which has been around for getting close to 25 years, um, started out to fulfill that purpose. And over the years, it's been difficult to promote it. Mm. But, um, you know, we've been trying to do that more lately, as well as the Vision Loss Rehabilitation Ontario staff person in Sioux has been promoting the group. So we have quite a few new people, and that's really heartening. And they are just so thrilled to be able to get together and meet other people and make connections. It's been huge in these people's lives and that makes me feel so good. Dorothy, it's it's one of these interesting components that there are so many different things that somebody might be looking for in terms of a service. And it's almost a bit of a sampler. It's a bit of a buffet that maybe somebody wants to do some of the more athletic engagement together. Maybe somebody wants to do some strict advocacy. Maybe somebody's just looking for literal peer support, someone to talk to and have a coffee. So how do you recommend and how did you go about picking and choosing the people and the peer support groups that ended up impacting your life? Well, in a community of this size and in the north, um, I would say, first of all, there weren't many options. Mm. There still aren't many <laughs> options um, for people to f to make those connections and find those groups. Oh, almost 40 years ago, when I was having vision difficulties, I had a lot of trouble even making uh, contact with CNIB in those days. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and I had an ophthalmologist in the city here who told me I didn't need CNIB, you know, and I'm I'm sure that occasionally still goes on today, but not not as much, I'm sure. Um, so I was new. I was new to the community. I knew nobody. <laughs> so that was an added issue. And some of the people new to our group are also new to Sault Ste. Marie. Um, so, oh, I mean, I'm really, really happy that the CCB group has been here for so many years to offer that support to so many people. Um, yeah, that's a long time to maintain yeah, that group. Yeah. And it's all all volunteer run, right? Um, but uh, these days, because the only other support group is virtual um, and with a very small group of people, and that's the CNAB uh, coffee group, um, most of the people in our group are older and don't even own a computer or a smart device. Yeah, and they yeah. want the yeah, and they want the in-person contact. Yeah, so Dorothy, along those lines, how would you describe how the pandemic impacted peer support over the last few years? Oh, that's a really good question because, I mean, having vision loss is isolating enough. And especially uh, if you're a widow and alone in an apartment um, with not being able to get out uh, and to meet other people or to meet other people with vision loss, it's that's been really hard Um just from the experiences that people have told us, they were really struggling. They didn't even have friends they could phone uh, yeah, because yeah. they just, they didn't have those connections. Now they do. Uh, Dorothy, as we move forward here, we see that what begins as peer support can become advocacy. And you were mentioning this Canadian Council of the Blind team and some of these members who are looking at bigger issues in the North and something you and I have revisited so many times is transit, accessible transit. Yes. How has the CCB been part of this fight? Well, yes, that goes back quite a few years. I mean, before there were even um, audible announcements on the buses. Oh my <laughs> you gosh! Know, like David well, Lepofsky, the, the we were... dark, the dark ages, Dorothy. How did we get anywhere? <laughs> yes, <laughs> like David Lepofsky, we just kept asking and asking and saying, "We need this. This is important," uh, and, and not just for us, for so many people that need those audible announcements. So that 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 went way back, and more recently, it's been. Um, advocating for the Parabus service for people with vision loss as well as people with mobility issues because up until about a year ago um, people with vision loss could not use the Parabus system you had to go on regular transit and so a couple of us in particular kept having meetings with uh, transit officials and we said you know imagine this um, if you were someone with vision loss and you needed to catch a bus and you needed to cross a really busy street where there were no street lights for quite a distance, um, how comfortable would you feel doing that and then taking the regular bus? That person, line one person in particular years ago, her daughter had been killed in a car accident. Oh she, was she was oh terrified of, of cars, right? She, she couldn't cross the road for fear um and so we 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 just explained and and we we pushed we didn't give up and so now people with vision loss can take the parabus but there's still issues around scheduling you know the number of parabuses not being able to get a parabus and then you know being being in a bit of a bind trying mm -hmm. to find transportation mm -hmm. taxis are really expensive oh gosh yeah so yeah that we're we're still um advocating and we have um the head of the transit services coming to our canadian council of the blind meeting um on wednesday february the 18th next week at one o'clock at pine hill church where we meet um, and I'm afraid she will be on the hot seat. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, you guys are going to be at least a little bit kind to them. Come on. Well, we will be kind, but, you know, and she knows <laughs> the issues because there's been many emails and meetings since really since probably the summertime uh, because these issues are not being resolved. And as you know, the legislation, the intent of the legislation is 
to remove these kinds of barriers. So we just keep plugging away. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. You say, and, th and that's that's where this whole conversation started, right? Disability never, disability advocacy never stops because yeah. there's always going to be something that play, at play there, especially again in that world of transit because we know how important it is to get people from point A to point Z. But then there's even what I would call some maybe uh, in, like um, invisible barriers that people are facing as well. You described uh, a PTSD or a trauma associated with getting around. There's also even once you're on the bus, we've had a couple contributors on the show talk about how they might be a little more comfortable sitting in some of that accessibility seating, but some folks may not recognize low vision or partial blindness necessarily as something warranting of sitting in those seats. And all of a sudden they're getting in arguments with people on the bus about sitting in the accessibility seats. Yes, and you know, that's another issue is the training of the drivers because mm. the drivers should understand how to handle those situations. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Uh, so, Dorothy, again, uh, January the 18th, that's the CCB meeting. That's when the uh, the head of the transit in the Sioux is going to be stopping by. January 18th, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We've got a phone number here if people do want to learn more about this. It's 705-759-0733. And it's the uh, Pine Hill Church of Christ, 132 Cunningham, 1 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, January the 19th. Hey, Dorothy, thank you for the time you spent with us this morning. We're great. Oh, sorry. We can't say goodbye to you just yet. Sorry, I, uh, Dorothy, I'm working off a computer, off working off my old script, so I'm not as good as uh, working ahead as I used to be here. We cannot say goodbye without you at least giving a plug to the GTT Rural and Northern Ontario Get Together with Technology meeting. So what's coming up with the next one? Yes, yeah, so this was really important. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually the day before our CCB meeting, so it's it's next Tuesday, the 17th, um, at, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And uh, we are having um, Greg David from EMI whoop, whoop. explain, yes, yay, explain all the new um, programming and answering questions. He's always a really popular contributor. And, uh, you know, we, we always get a pretty good turnout. So, and and people may not know about um, all the changes at AMI, so it's a great opportunity for people to learn more and for people who may not be terribly familiar with AMI, mm -hmm. uh, especially to understand um, you know, what's available out there. Well, ideally, you don't give the manager of transit and parking too much trouble at the CCB meeting, but definitely don't give Greg David any trouble at this get-together with technology meeting on January the 17th. If people do want to learn more and be a part of that uh, meeting, gttprogram at gmail.com. You send an email to Kim Kilpatrick, and she'll be happy to point you in the right direction. Hey, Dorothy, all the best to you. Enjoy some cold weather in the Sioux, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. You bet. Thanks, and Happy New Year to you. Thank you very much. You too. You All the best to you and the family. That's Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Remember, you can always find out more by visiting our blog, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. That's where you find great things like the phone number and the uh, links and all that other good stuff to these events. Coming up after the break, we will bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. He's got a couple sports-related questions for me, and I have a regional news update for you. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.